Welcome to Radical Resilience, the podcast. I'm your host, Pega Kadkodian. Resilience is more than just learning to bounce back from adversity. It is both a spiritual and practical journey of returning to the essence of who you are. With Radical Resilience, life can throw anything at you, and no matter how tossed around you get, no matter how hard you fall, you have the ability to get back up and come home to yourself. Here are the inspirational stories of women who embody radical resilience and learn the resources you need to reclaim your passion, purpose, and power. All right, beautiful Radical Resilience listeners, I'm so excited to be launching this podcast with my very first guest here today. She is an incredible woman who I've had the pleasure of working with as a client, and I call her a friend at this point too. She has an amazing Instagram page, so if you haven't yet checked that out, be sure to do that at the end of the podcast. She has an incredible story of resilience and she is just all around a lovely, lovely human being. So I'd like to introduce Michelle Harris. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Pega. Happy to be here. I mean, what an honor. Oh, I'm so excited that you agreed to come on the show. Obviously, I know your story. I think it is a beautiful story of resilience, just witnessing your incredible evolution and growth in the time that we've been together. Michelle, tell us a little bit about where your story begins. First of all, I'm from San Diego, born and raised, and my parents were high school sweethearts, married very, very young, had me, and very quickly realized that their high school love wasn't going to survive. So I think they separated when I was around two. My mother remarried and sort of fell into a toxic point in her life. It was pretty unstable. There were drugs involved. And I went through probably a big portion of my childhood, I would say between the ages of five and nine in a household that was very, very unstable. I quickly had to grow up and be the parent. And, you know, at that age, you don't realize that what you're living is not normal. I can look back now as a parent and see how toxic and damaging that time was in my life. It wasn't until I was much older that I realized it wasn't normal. Thank you for sharing that. I can definitely relate. At a pretty young age, I had to step up and really kind of raise myself. My mom, as a single parent, wasn't around much. You know, my brother had to step in and play that parental role. And, you know, later in life, it really did feel like I was doing a lot of the parenting in the family dynamics I have as well. So it's not easy to grow up in a household where there is instability. And you're right, I don't think as children, we realize really what it is that we're dealing with until much later when we're older and we realize, oh, wow, that thing that I experienced in childhood was actually trauma. It manifests itself in so many ways. So share with us a little bit, if you would, kind of what adolescence and thereafter was like for you. You know, we talked a little bit about some of the transitions as a, you know, early childhood, parents becoming divorced, and then going through several years in a household that was very unstable. There were drugs. Um, I have a younger sister who is five years younger, and I really kind of took on that motherly role to her without even realizing that was what I was doing. Um, and then around the age of nine, there was another pretty significant change in my life. You know, my father was able to gain custody of me because of the lifestyle that we were living. Um, I think at one point 
you know, we've lost our home and my dad got custody of me and I moved in with him. And that was another really significant point in my life that as an adult, I realized, you know, I felt pretty abandoned losing my mom and that life that I know now was very toxic. Uh, it was a big deal. So I moved in with my dad and he provided me a very stable, wonderful life for many years. And, uh, you know, I think I, I didn't realize at the time how much that transition affected me, how abandoned I felt. And, you know, just to give it a little bit of a deeper layer, right around that time, um, my mom really did everything she could to get her life back on track and get out of that very toxic relationship. So she actually moved across the country with my sister. So not only did I lose my mom, you know, she was on the other side of the country, so I wasn't able to see her. And, um, you know, I think I wore a really strong face, Pega. I became in control of my life. And I think that's something that I've learned as I've gotten older is, is when the control is taken away when you're young and things are very chaotic and hectic and out of control, you, you kind of have choices on which direction you're, you're going to go in your life. You're either going to follow that path and become out of control, or other times you become hyper-controlling and you decide you're going to control every aspect of your life. And that's sort of what I did. I went down a path of knowing that I would never have that sort of life. And I found areas in my life that I could control. And, and my career was one of those things. You know, I think a lot of our listeners can relate that when life starts to feel out of control, we feel like, well, what aspect of it can I control? It shapes our personality. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, being able to kind of take the reins and take control where it kind of goes sideways, of course, is when you feel like you have to control everything. And then that thing that was the attribute that served you becomes your Achilles heel because obviously you can't control everything in life. You can't control relationships. You can't control outcomes. You know, in fact, there's very little in life that we can actually control outside of our own behavior. You know, that's a really beautiful thing to highlight that that was something that you did, that you took the adversity of your childhood and your circumstances and you effectively cool. used it in your favor and your personality decided that it was going to formulate in such a way that it was going to serve you. Because I think, as you mentioned, some people could have let that scenario control them. They could have taken on the role of victim, but you didn't. You chose to go the opposite way. Right. Yeah. It, it, I absolutely believe it served me. And, and when I do tell my story, I completely honor that part of my life and what a gift it was to serve me, to get me to a point in my life. But I do feel that at some point in our lives, we do have to uh, stop. And as you and I talk about it, Pega, and start unpacking. Um, I've done a really good job at putting things on the shelves, putting it away, and knowing that it was a part of my life. But I think one of the things that I got really, really good at is having a really beautiful uh, front yard, as you would say. The landscape is perfect. Everything looks perfect. And not allowing anybody to get past my front yard and truly see who I really am. And I think 
that was because I didn't know who I truly was. I think I kept myself safe for so many years, years beyond when I needed to, because it was just a part of who I am or who I was. And I think somewhere in my adulthood, I began to realize that it was no longer serving me to be in control and to be protected and guarded. That was when I started to make some major shifts in my life and begin to let people in and allow people to see who I truly am. That's just so amazing, you know, because I think many women, especially, do that very thing, right? We make ourselves look perfect. We take on the role and to the world, we have this exterior of perfection, whether Mm -hmm. it's our appearance, you know, our physical appearance, our environment, right? So our home looks perfect. You know, on the outside, on the surface, everything looks just pristine and perfect. And no one really gets to see the chaos that's going on inside. And I think it's so important for our listeners to hear that they're not alone in that. Having that external appearance of perfection is really just a way, as you said, of staying guarded and hiding what's really going on inside and allowing your true self, that authentic self, that those aspects of you that may feel less than perfect, or in some cases even feel broken, allowing those things to be seen, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and that incredible gift you give the world when you do show those sides of yourself. And I know you've had an incredible journey, not only in terms of overcoming your childhood, but also in terms of your journey to becoming a mom. So would you share a little bit about that? So fun to really look at our journey of life because when we're we're in the weeds, it's hard to understand. But sometimes when you can step back or step above and truly look at your journey, it starts making sense, the pain, the struggles. So, you know, we talked a little bit about my need for control uh, to keep myself safe. And I did um, around 2022, I believe, I found a very large mass uh, in right around my uterus area. It was grapefruit sized and went in to a doctor and he quickly let me know that this was not normal at all. And I needed to go see a specialist. So I went to see a specialist and they started running several tests and were led to believe based on the ultrasound and MRIs and what they could see that it was potentially ovarian cancer. And at 22, having that bomb dropped on you is, as many people can relate, just life shattering. And I sat with that for quite some time until my surgery was scheduled and I went into exploratory surgery, being told that, you know, if it is cancer, that everything would have to be removed. So I had to process the idea of A, potentially having cancer, B, potentially never being able to have a child. And that was a lot at that age. So I did have my surgery and woke up and was told at the end of the surgery that it was great news. I didn't have cancer. Uh, I had endometriosis, which at that point in my life, I had never heard of. And they did remove the mass and one of my ovaries and left the other ovary. I was so grateful and told that, you know, endometriosis was something that could potentially cause infertility and it would potentially grow back and it would cause me 
potentially a lot of pain and all of these things. So if I wanted to have a family, I should really start thinking about it. And I remember to this day, the doctor told me that if you want to have children, you need to start now and be done by the time you're 27 because you have a very, very severe endometriosis. Talk about no pressure, right? Jeez. No pressure. No pressure at all. I wasn't married. I was in a relationship, but <laughs> I'm not sure that I was <laughs> ready to think about having babies with him. <laughs> Fast forward, uh, didn't have any babies, uh, moved on in my life, ended up dating and marrying Casey, whom I'm with now. And around 30, we decided it was time to start trying. Well, five years of trying and not trying and letting, leaving it to the powers of that be and everything you could imagine, pain, heartbreak, uh, watching friends get pregnant, not once, but twice, and nothing ever happened for us. And, you know, we never even got pregnant. I, I know so many people who battle getting pregnant and losing their babies. And we just, we never even had the month of like, oh, it's positive. So I was grateful for not, you know, miscarrying and going through that pain. But it was also just the same amount of loss every single month of never being able to be pregnant. And it just seemed impossible. That is so heartbreaking. So many women struggle with that, you know, having either endometriosis or other issues with fertility and trying month after month, still not succeeding in that deep desire for motherhood. But you didn't let that stop you. No, I didn't let it stop me. But I, I will say that one thing that I can relate to, and I come across women all of the time that are either dealing with infertility or multiple miscarriages and the pain, the deep, deep pain that comes with that is it was hard. And sometimes it's really uh, hard for people to relate if they haven't been there. And, and I'm on the other side now, but I can tell you that I shed so many tears and I didn't understand why, why us, why us and why them, why could they have babies and, and pain and anger and there you go with that control, and which is what I thought is very ironic about the situation is another thing I couldn't control. I felt I had perfect life, and I was healthy, and I had a great marriage, and I had a great job. I had everything that felt like would be the perfect fit for having a child, and I just couldn't make that part of my life work. Um, so around five or six years into it, we, we started really looking at what our options were. And as you mentioned, you know, in vitro is a great option. And it was something we started talking about. And we looked at what that financial cost would be. And we discussed, you know, there's no guarantees with in vitro. We could very well do in vitro and spend a lot of money that we didn't have and not get pregnant. And so we started beginning conversations about adoption. My husband's family adopted two children and had three biological children. So adoption was something that he was very comfortable with. For me, it was not something that I was comfortable with in the beginning. It, 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 I felt like I wanted to be pregnant and have that child that shared my DNA and and so it took some time when we began to really talk about our options outside of in vitro. So it took some 
real deep insight and thought when it came to thinking about adoption as an option for me. It, it didn't come easily. And I want to make sure that women understand that, that it doesn't always come easily. It wasn't something that I felt in the beginning was right for me. But at one point, I remember having a moment of clarity and it hit me. I asked myself, Michelle, what do you truly want? Do you want to be pregnant and carry this baby or do you want to be a mother? And that was when it hit me. I just wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a mom and I wanted a family. That's beautiful. Often women do underestimate the real deep inner searching and revelation that has to occur for someone to become comfortable with the idea of adopting a little one rather than carrying that child inside of them. So thank you so much for your willingness to share that and to be so incredibly vulnerable with our listeners about that. And so you did adopt and now you have an amazing young man. And what's his name? His name is Maddox. He's 10. I can hardly believe that It was almost 10 years ago that we traveled to Korea to bring him home. I I don't know where the time goes. (laughs) It's kind of scary, actually. As you know, Pega, he has been my greatest teacher. He has really, really inspired, I would say, the growth that I've had. It's really been from him. And I, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, sometimes our children come to us as our greatest teachers and they really, really cause us to look within. And and while they can bring out the best in us, they can also bring out the worst in us, but it's an opportunity to truly look at those areas within. And if you're not wanting to be better for your children, I don't know who you'd want to be better for. So that is where I've been most inspired to grow and work on some of those childhood traumas that I had. Again, thank you, because I don't think that parents often outwardly admit that their children are their greatest teachers, that their children can bring out both sides of them. This conversation, I think, is so wonderfully rich because it gives women permission to say, yeah, you know what? Sometimes my child makes me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But it does give us the opportunity to look inside of ourselves, as you so eloquently said, at those aspects of ourselves that need looking at and those aspects of ourselves that are wounded and are being triggered by our children because they really are such a gift and such an opportunity to do that inner work and that healing, which you've done so beautifully, both with me and in other modalities. So if you would share with our listeners just a few of the things that you feel have really been pivotal in your resilience journey? You know, I really began doing some of the self-work early on when I became a mother because a lot of my wounds began to surface, things that I had kept packaged away in those pretty little boxes we talked about. And I would say about seven years ago, I decided to go on my very first women's retreat with a very dear friend of mine who began hosting yoga retreats. And she invited me. She was doing it in Costa Rica. And I thought, I can't do that. I've never traveled anywhere alone. Casey and I traveled together. I'm a mom with a young child. That would be so irresponsible and bad mom thing to do, to leave and go to another country for 10 days and do yoga and work on myself. 
But thankfully, uh, Casey, my husband, is my biggest cheerleader, and he is always pushing me to uh, take care of myself first and, and really supports my, my journey to, into healing. And he told me I needed to do it. He said, you need to go. You need to go on this journey. You need to do, go by yourself. Nobody needs to go with you. And with lots of lots, lots and lots of pushing, I said yes, and I did it. And I can honestly say that was the pivotal moment in my life where my healing truly began traveling to another country, spending a week working on myself with no responsibilities. I didn't need to worry about work. I didn't need to worry about my home, my husband, my child. I just focused on myself. And since then, I have gone to Costa Rica twice on retreats. I've gone to Bali twice on retreats. And I um, have now been inspired to hold space for women at retreats. And it's been something that has come to me over the past several years that I, I knew that the power of these retreats in this time was something very special in my healing journey. And I wanted to be able to share that with other women in some capacity. And so I'm, I'm actually working on creating my very first retreat. And it's going to be in 2020. And I am so excited about it. I think that's just awesome. What a beautiful gift that you gave yourself. I know so many of our listeners have that same frame of mind when it comes to putting their needs first, taking care of themselves. Oh, it's not responsible. Oh, I have, you know, a job, career, responsibilities to my children. I shouldn't take this time. And I'm really glad that our listeners, our listeners got to hear from you today just what a pivotal thing that was that you did for yourself. We did run in uh, December a radical self-care 30-day challenge just to encourage women in particular to do that for themselves, to really have the experience of putting their own needs first. You know, as you know, December is such a crazy month and, you know, it's like the last quarter of the year and holidays and everything. So we really encouraged uh, our community and our tribe to do that, to take time every day to do something for themselves and post it on social media just for a little bit of accountability. I'm thrilled to hear that you're going to be launching your own retreat in 2020 and so excited to be a part of that with you and to yes. hear more details as it comes up. Again, Michelle, thank you so very much for sharing your beautiful story with us and giving us that insight, your willingness to be vulnerable and share so openly. I do want to mention to our listeners, if you want to follow Michelle on social media, she has an incredible Instagram page. So definitely check that out. Michelle, would you just tell our listeners what your handle is on Instagram? Michelle Janine, and it's Michelle underscore Janine. You can follow along my journey of creating spaces that truly nurture the soul and hopefully more life-changing and shifting retreats and bringing a beautiful community of women together. 
Yeah, it's really lovely. And more than anything, I just really want, again, to thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing your story with our listeners. So thank you all for joining us today on the Radical Resilience Podcast. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest. For now, from my incredibly grateful heart to yours, wishing you so, so much love and aloha. Namaste. I'm Pega Cadcodian. Thank you for listening to Radical Resilience, the podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Be sure to go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and rate. And remember to share this with all the amazing women in your life. Join us next week for another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast.